Money can't buy happiness But it can buy me a boat It can buy me a truck to pull it It can buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets Yeah, and I know what they say Money can't buy everything Well, maybe so But it can buy me a boat Welcome back for another episode of The Boat Boss, where we sit down each week and we talk about living, working, and playing on the water. My name is Kim Swears, and I am the host of Boat Boss, and when I'm not on the show or shooting a podcast, I'm one of the managing partners of FB Marine Group, one of America's top 100 boat dealerships. Well, today I am beyond excited to be shooting outside this beautiful location at Port Everglades, T25 it's called, Terminal 25, which is home to Celebrity Cruise Line. And Port Everglades, for those of you that don't know, is one of the largest and busiest ports in the world. But to South Florida, it is the economic engine that fuels my community and those to so many. And it's also the international gateway to the world. Well, I consider myself the boat boss, but actually I'm a little boat boss compared to my next guest, Jonathan Daniels, who is the CEO and Port Director for Port Everglades. Welcome to the Boat Boss. Kim, great to be here with you this morning. Well, you're definitely a bigger boat boss than me. Uh, a little, little bit, and there's a difference between a boat and a ship. Typically a boat fits on the deck of a ship. That's true. Okay, so I'll give you that. Yeah. Well, um, before we get into the business side of it, tell me about yourself. Who is Jonathan Daniels? Where are you from and your family like? Oh. It's interesting to think I would ever end up in, in South Florida, uh, running a port, running this facility. I would have thought I was, I was, I was crazy. I was born in a small town uh, in upstate New York, uh, Mohawk, New York, on the Erie Canal. Uh, and Mohawk and Ilium is basically known for one thing. It's the, it's, the, it's the location where Remington firearms are actually produced. Uh, so I, I am from primarily from, from upstate New York, uh, born, born there and lived in a lot of different uh, different areas. Uh, moved around uh, the East Coast primarily. My father, who started out as a longshoreman, so actually it's in my blood uh, a little bit. Uh, he was a longshoreman at the Port of Erie, uh, but then moved from there to becoming a college football coach. Uh, and so at that time he was coaching at a, at a small high school. Uh, and from that point to moved up and down what's called the Erie Canal Corridor. Yeah, literally. Uh, literally, literally. Uh, moved, you know, he, he, during his coaching career we went as far south as Virginia. Uh, went into Connecticut, spent a lot of time in upstate New York, and then uh, finally, you know, I consider myself uh, a Finger Lakes uh, guy. Uh, Geneva, uh, New York, is my hometown, uh, where my mom, uh, my mom still uh, still lives and still have a lot of friends there. Graduated from high school there, and then embarked on on my career into uh, into, into port management. A little bit of a twist and turn, uh, a little bit, but uh, but finally got to the point where I'm now in South Florida. Well, your dad passed recently, and I wanted yeah. to wish you my condolences. Thank you. Thank shout you. out to your mom. Your mom's yeah. still alive. Yep. So mom, Absol absolutely. Shout Hi, out mom. To moms. Moms are so important. So you have a lot of kids. How many do. kids do you have? I have four children. Uh, I have a 35-year-old stepson, Stephen. Uh, he's with his wife uh, in, in the Air Force, nice. uh, proudly serving in the U.S. Air Force. He's in California. Mm -hmm. Don't get the opportunity certainly to see him uh, very much. He's had remote tours uh, throughout the world, uh, but is now settled in, in, in uh, California. Uh, and three daughters. I have a 25-year-old, uh, recently married, uh, living in the Bradenton area, and then identical 22-year-olds. Identical. 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 identical twins. Identical twins. Did you know that I'm an identical twin? You are. Okay. I know. Okay. That. A, little, yeah. a little bit. A little, little there. That's uh, exciting. So Stephen, Lauren, and then Alexis and Paige. Uh, 
Paige is uh, finishing up her, her school activities in her college at, uh, at FAU. Uh, lives probably about a mile from where we're sitting uh, right now, just off of uh, Las Olas. Uh, her twin sister, Alexis, is currently in Hawaii. Uh, wow. So, Bradenton area, California, Hawaii, and Fort Lauderdale. It's not, not a bad way, not a bad way to go about it. So visiting the kids is nice. It, it is, it is. Uh, but one of the reasons why I moved here and took this position was the opportunity to be closer to at least, at least the majority of my, of my children. Uh, just the job has, has taken me in a, in a little bit of a different direction. I've not had the opportunity to see them as much. Uh, but now to come in and then Paige moved from the Jacksonville uh, area. Uh, down to Fort Lauderdale within about the last six to eight months. So it's been awfully nice to be able to have her uh, down here. I'm looking forward to going down to Hawaii and seeing Alexis uh, at, uh, at some point. And then with uh, Lauren and, and her husband, Stephen. Uh, so, any grandkids? Uh, no grandchildren yet. My uh, you got to get going. Yet. Uh, <laughs> a lot of grand dogs, uh, a lot of pets around their houses. Uh, so they get the opportunity to come to Grandpa's house. So they certainly certainly do that. Uh, and then, and then my girlfriend Adrian is in upstate New York. Actually, lives in uh, the same hometown, Geneva, okay. uh, where I went to high school and grew up. We were actually high school sweethearts. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, they ended up reconnecting after about thirty years, not through social media, <laughs> uh, but we ended up uh, ended up seeing each other and uh, and and go back and forth uh, quite a bit. Pandemic has hurt that a little bit, uh, in that I'm not able to get up there as much. Uh, but I think she certainly enjoys coming down to South Florida and enjoying. Uh, enjoying Broward County yeah. and South Florida now, especially especially the last few months when it's a little bit uh, a little bit cold in upstate New York. The ability to come down and and, and really allow us the opportunity to enjoy uh, enjoy everything that South Florida is all about. And, and you see within the scene here, you know, the water, the beaches, yeah. uh, the boats, and everything else that really surrounds that. I had the opportunity to enjoy my first uh, boat show. Nice. Uh, this year, which was awfully yes. nice. Oh, it's, it's, it was it was wonderful, and what was interesting, a very good friend of mine who owns a casino in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, where I was before, uh, had his boat down here, uh, the Miss Stephanie. It's about 120 feet in length. So I got a call one day and had the opportunity to, to, to go have drinks, uh, and then we took a little bit of a tour through the boat show uh, right. during that time. So it was, it was great to be able to get integrated into kind of the fabric. I didn't realize just how important boating is it's to the our, community. It's our Super Bowl. It, it is. It's a wonderful experience. Wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. So, any plans to own a boat in the future? Uh, I've owned one in the past, uh, okay. and actually grew, grew up on, on my mom's side. Uh, my mom was an incredible sailor, uh, Seneca Yacht Club, uh, right at the at the tip of uh, of Seneca Lake in, in Geneva, New York. Uh, and so she actually started out in, in the Thistle class, and then went in and became an expert. Uh, and a winner in the star class. Uh, and in fact, the gentleman who actually really perfected the star class boat, Tom Parkman, uh, lived with my grandparents uh, and built her her own uh, boat. So she got awfully good at it. That's good. Uh, and so I've, I've it's, it's, in my, it's in my blood. And then had the opportunity when I was up in Maine to go sailing on Penobscot Bay. And that's when I really, really started to get uh, Started to get excited about it, so I've owned a small uh, 22 footer uh, on Lake Ontario and moved down to Mississippi and and did liquidate that boat at that time. But I will be looking at uh, at some point. So Adrian, Adrian and I actually once in a while I'll I'll, I'll get a little bit of uh, excitement about it and I'll say, oh, you need to look at this boat, you need to look at this. And so at some point, I think we'll, we'll certainly pull the trigger and uh, get back on the water. Well, good. I know you know some people in the business. I think I think uh, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about. 
college days, you know, mm-hmm. Citadel is, uh, you're a bulldog, correct? I'm a bulldog, yes. Bulldog, and Citadel is an interesting university. It's either it's a tradition or mm-hmm. there's some reason why people attend that mm-hmm. university. How did you get to the Citadel? Graduated a year early from high school and had looked at the Citadel and then looked at postgraduate work at Fort Union Military Academy. So I was looking toward the military uh, and decided at that, at that point I just wasn't going to pursue it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so went to Hobart College for a year and about halfway through just decided I think I wanted to, I wanted to pursue and ended up going down there. I want, the Citadel was important to me because it gave me the opportunity to experience the structure, experience all facets of the military, but not be obligated to go. If you go to West Point, if you go to the Air Force Academy or Annapolis, you then sign on for a certain amount of years. Uh, so I went in and matriculated as an Air Force ROTC uh, cadet. I uh, had an absolutely wonderful experience. And what was interesting about that is my father was coaching at Hobart College at the time, and a week before I went down for my interview, uh, and I was going to go down with him, he was actually hired to go coach football at the Civil. So we ended up going down there in a sense together. My family was down there. Uh, no, one ever, no one knew that, though. We kept that very separate. As a, as a freshman or what's called a knob, and you never want to uh, be known for anything. And, and if, if the upperclassmen knew my parents lived on campus, yeah. that would not, have gone, not would not have gone very well. They found out later, but that was okay. Uh, but it was, a, it was a really, really great experience uh, for me. I don't think I'd do it again, uh, but the experience that I went through, you know, and really, you, know, you look at kind of the lessons that you learn there, and especially if you, if you break it down into several different kind of quadrants your freshman year or your knob year. I mean, you're, you're, you're the lowest of the low. Your, your head is shaved, you, you do what's called bracing. Uh, you may get something to eat uh, at the mess deck, but you, but you may not. Uh, there are a thousand reasons to leave every day, and you really can't think of a great reason to stay. So you have to persevere through it. Mm-hmm. You have to have the strength, and you also have to rely on each other. You can't do That's it. Nice. If you try and do it alone, like the military, right, yes. or like being on a boat, uh, being at the port, uh, we have such an incredible staff here. So you learn at a very early age, you have to rely on people, you have to work together. It's a little bit cliche, but the teamwork that I went through there to make it through all four years uh, is really something that's carried me to this to this point. Well, Citadel is known for honor, duty, and respect. That's mm-hmm. their, in their core values. I can hear from what you're saying that you carried a lot of this over into your professional career. What are the few things that you can share that you really carried over into what you're doing today from Citadel? I think the every every day you're at the Citadel, especially during that first year, you fail and you fail miserably. Uh, uh, they almost set you up to to fail, and you have to work your way through it. Again, you have to you have to look at the other cadets. You have to look at your roommate. You have to sit down at the end of the day. And ultimately understand what you learn during that day and not do and not do it again you try not to do the same thing that you failed at twice uh, so having that perseverance to be able to come through that in the port industry you may talk with 200 potential customers before you get to one right, right. Uh, you're gonna hear no a lot of times uh, you're gonna do your best efforts you're gonna lose a customer to another mm-hmm. to another port at the same time what do we take from that mm-hmm. and ultimately go after and, and, and seek success. When you get into your more advanced years, it was more difficult for me as a, as, a, as a second year student, as a sophomore, no longer is anybody looking over your shoulder. And so you're going to make mistakes, you are on your own. That's when the relationship that you formulated uh, really end up strengthening during that period of time and you really begin to set the course. Uh, 
we used to do what's called read about it. So if you, at the at the end of the week uh, you'd go to this certain area and you you open up the paper and you see, you read about it, whether you've got the merits. You don't know whether you've got the merits because no one's there looking over your shoulder. You don't know about that until you read about it. So what you really take a look at is, again, you strive for the perfection. You're never going to get there. You look for the excellence and you learn your lessons. Also learn that from day one, they strip you down of everything. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what race, creed, religion you are. It doesn't matter whether you're poor, whether you're rich. Uh, they strip you down, shave your head, make you like everybody else, put you in a uniform that is drab gray. And from that point, you are like anybody else. You're known only by your name, uh, and you have to learn to persevere, and you have to learn to work through that. So it doesn't matter where you come from. You learn new lessons, you take those lessons forward, and you, you really have to draw on, on a lot of strength. If you don't want to be there, uh, you're not going to make it. If you're there only because of your family, more than likely you're not going to make it. You have to want to be there. You have to want to look at it. And that's one of the lessons that I looked at here. When I, when I came here, I left a great situation uh, in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, they took care of me. My commissioners, the five commissioners, really took care of me. I had a great relationship uh, with the governor and everybody at the, at the state capitol. Uh, came here, took a little less to come here, but what I saw was what was in the future the ability to recover from the pandemic, mm -hmm. the ability to have impact with my staff uh, on the economy of South, of South Florida. We talk about family, and family is mm -hmm. so important. Mm -hmm. I have good friends that have a saying, FOE, mm -hmm. family over everything, mm -hmm. and it's something that my family is a value in my family, and it seems like it rings true in your family. Your family led you here to South Florida. You had a great position at uh, Gulfport, Mississippi for seven mm -hmm. years as their uh, CEO and director uh, of the port. Mm -hmm. Talk about how that happened where you left an amazing job at a key time to seek your family and be closer to them. It was going there. I was warned not to take the job in Mississippi for a variety of, of reasons. And it ended up being one of the most wonderful times of my life. Seven wonderful years. Uh, the people that are there are absolutely wonderful. And if you haven't been to Mississippi, no, I haven't yet. You, you need to go. And the history that's there. A lot of things wrong about what's going on in the state. Certainly, they've dealt with their past, but they're coming. They're coming around to that. Uh, the different cultures that are involved, from the northern part of the state, the Delta, all the way down to the, to the Gulf Coast. Strong military presence there as as well. So it really brings in an interesting, uh, interesting mix of, of people from from throughout the world. Uh, the job was absolutely absolutely wonderful. But I took over at the time when the position, the job, and the port. Was floundering a little bit. They were coming off of Hurricane Katrina. Right. Eight years after the hurricane, but going through a restoration project that had basically stalled. It was out of compliance with the federal government. It was in a position where the federal government was actually threatening to remove the funds from the project. Uh, we also were coming off of a study that came out of Peers Group in the state of Mississippi that said one of the responsibilities you have for the money is to create X amount of jobs, and the state's telling us there's no way you're going to be able to make that. So, so with all this, you said, I'll take the job. We'll take the job. We'll take the job, and, and it was it was a wonderful challenge. Again, a wonderful staff, a wonderful community that rallied, uh, and ended up uh, December first, two thousand and eighteen, cutting the ribbon on that. It was it was satisfying professionally, on a personal basis. It was an extremely emotional thing uh, to be able to to be able to do that. And I could have stayed there forever, and there were only a couple jobs that that 
were that could become available where I would ultimately look at, at, at going. Yeah. This was a job at Port Everglades. I actually applied for a position here about 10 years ago. I read that about you. Yes, uh, and within their business development line. So I would have ended up working uh, uh, working here in a very different role. Okay. Uh, but this was an area I always wanted to be at, not only because of the port and the resources, but just being in, in South Florida. Mm -hmm. It's just such a, a magnificent area, uh, so much culture, uh, so much to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, so much to enjoy uh, about the area yeah. and with the pandemic i haven't had the opportunity to be able to do that yet but it took me 10 years uh, but through that perseverance uh, and i'll be honest with you when the, when the job became available uh, and, and following in uh, uh, in uh, steve chernak and, mm -hmm. and unfortunately his passing and steve was a friend of mine in the yes. industry we're a very small yes. industry uh, and then with glenn wilshire taking over for a while he serves as our deputy director and has really maintained a great leadership position uh, at the at the port, and you take into consideration everybody else. I think it was not only it was hard for me to leave; it was hard for me to come in. At the same time, I think it was difficult a little bit for the staff. Yes. The time from Steve's passing uh, to the time someone coming in that was new, coming in during a very difficult time with the pandemic. Now, who's the who's this new guy coming in from Mississippi? Why did, why does he want to come down here? Uh, cruising's gone. Half of more than half of our, our revenue is basically out the window. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, what do we do when you consider the revenue from cruising, the downturn in the energy sector, mm -hmm. downturn in cargo? Why do you want this position? Yeah. Few places I see in the United States or in the, or in the world that can rebound as quickly and as efficiently yeah. as as South Florida. And I, and I take that in as a, as a whole. So the ability to come to Broward County and, and well, we work with you. Oh, it's great! Great to be down here. Glad you're here. In, in your, uh, when you announced your resignation mm -hmm. at Gulfport, I saw the video and it was very touching. Mm -hmm. You were very emotional. I was. Uh, the Board of Commissioners and, and all of your staff were emotional and mm -hmm. what they said about you was amazing. And then you turned to Bertha Henry and the team here that was mm -hmm. part of your hiring process said just as great things about you. So you have to be pretty proud of what you've done. It's, it's, it's very, uh, you, know, you, you look at it and, and I wasn't. I wasn't born in the porn industry. I stumbled into it. How many ports have you been with? Five. Uh, I've been right? with five ports. I wrote down all of them: <laughs> Gulfport, Port of Oswego, Oswego, yes, Oswego, mm -hmm. Baton Rouge, Maine, and now Port Everglades. And now Port Everglades, yes. It's crazy. Uh, from one of the smaller ports in the United States, in Eastport, uh, you couldn't be any further north and east in the United States. But just an absolutely fantastic area, and. Uh, and all my all uh, all my daughters were born in, in Eastport as, as well. Uh, and you're out on an island. You're out on Moose Island, looking across uh, on the Canada. Great area. Uh, not even a single stoplight, uh, but had the opportunity to build a brand new port facility there. Uh, and from that point, was dragged into the into the port industry, and I'm never going to leave. Well, I love it. This is, you know, you've had you were a, a, a coach, and then from there you went into the port business. Mm -hmm. Very few people live and breathe just that one industry that mm -hmm. career. So hats off to you for what thank you've you. done. I thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. You know, who would have known a college football coach to a port director yeah. at Port Everglades? It's, 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 it's an interesting journey, uh, but each position is built upon itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get the opportunity to follow in, in a great line of, of port directors and chief executives here. Work for Bertha Henry and, and, a great, and a great commission and work with a great staff. Well, shout out to the commissioners and Bertha Henry for bringing in such a fantastic gentleman. Thank you. Well, we're going to take a walk around the port and answer a few more questions. Good. Get the opportunity to show you what, uh, what we're all about. Absolutely. Great. Port Everglades is known for cargo, cruise ships, and fuel. It is. So can you share with us how 
important it is for it on the global scale? Well, if you look at it, you know, we're, we're the third largest cruise port in the world. All right, so you have Miami, you have Canaveral, uh, and then you have Port Everglades. Uh, so you look at just the pure scope, you know, and, and what's that mean? What's that translate to? It translates into about four million passenger movements on an annual basis. Wow. And then you start to break that down as to where the impacts are associated with that. We have a strong drive-in market, but we also have a strong fly-in market because of the diversity of the lines that we have here. Uh, you, you have you have Carnival Cruise Lines and, and the corporation serving the parent umbrella for, for the cruise line itself, but also for Home America, for instance, you have Royal Caribbean with Royal and Celebrity, uh, but then you bring in some of the independent lines and there's great diversity, so it doesn't matter what sector you're looking at. Uh, if, you, if you're looking at, at, at putting five or six college students in a small car and driving down on spring break and grabbing, grabbing the cruise, that's fine. At the same time, you have, a, you have an older couple that wants to come down. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary. They get the opportunity as well to, experience, to be able to experience that. So at all levels, you're able to do that. And that translates into the community. You're looking at a, a Broward County, 84,000 residents are associated with the hospitality and tourism industry. And all of this begins to trickle down. Half of our passenger movements, actually, they come through uh, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood International Airport. Uh, so you're seeing the impacts that are so many different levels. 13,000 people work on the port so the day in and day out. Impact's pretty huge. So it, it's, it's a huge impact. 13,000 people that work on site. That work on site day in and, and day out. And, and the impact that has occurred is, is close to about 6,500 people based on the pandemic it's, itself. And then take a look at some of the other areas that we've been impacted, certainly the energy sector. And I'm always talking to Mark Gale, the director at, at, at the airport, please get your planes in the air, please do that. We've seen a significant reduction in our jet fuel. That's right. Uh, but we are the number one energy port in the state of Florida. So if you have, go ahead. If you, if you fly, if you drive into or out of South Florida, you will touch a product, a product that will help fuel. We, we fuel South Florida. Uh, in that respect, we are also the gateway to Latin America. So if you are going to trade north and south, if you're going to go into Guatemala, if you're going to go into Nicaragua, Honduras, Panama, you go through Port Everglades, both on an import and on an export basis. What's been great about it is even though we've seen a little bit of depression in our cargo statistics, we still have seen a couple new services uh, that have come on board, CMA, CGM. The world's third largest container carrier uh, has moved to has moved a small service uh, into into the area, uh, and then through the Marine Highway, uh, Maritime Administration, uh, Department of Transportation designated the M M10 corridor, which links Houston to Port Everglades down to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and then to the U.S. Virgin Islands. So even at the time when we're depressed, we're still seeing we're still seeing growth. It is. It is. You speak of you know, when if someone were to say Jonathan Daniels, who is Jonathan? Two things come to mind. Forward thinker, and you're a man that believes in constant evolution. That's what I, from the short time I've known you. Let's go back to Gulfport days where obviously you had the situation of the containers, you know, obviously security. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that and the partnership sure. that is coming down the road, what you're looking into bringing from Gulfport to here? Absolutely. You're, you're going to hear is like, you're going to hear, hear fixer. Someone that comes in maybe is able to look at things a little bit differently, work with the staff that's in place, and we're going to be able to fix things. We're going to be able to set things on the right path. There was a project that I got involved in in, uh, in Gulfport that was really, really very interesting, and it was a relationship that spawned out of a group called Rapiscan and a 
subsidiary of theirs. Fort Lauderdale. Well, they are S two, one of their subsidiaries, uh, and they work primarily in uh, in security aspects of uh, of port and terminal operations, but also large events. And how I got involved with them is S two Grampuscan. They were involved in a PGA Tour event, Champions Tour, in South Florida. And so, you just met them there. We, we met them there. They were the new sponsor. They were the new title sponsor, Graphic Scan Classic. Uh, and from that point, we started to talk about. They were looking at the project. They were they were developing this scanning system in Guatemala, and they needed a port in the United States whereby it would be the receiving terminal. So what happens is, you, you have this bunker system that's developed with the latest technology in the scanners. The container is packed, it's sealed, it is sent through the scanners in Guatemala. And it's origin. Yeah, it's origin. And so all the information coming from that container gets downloaded and then gets sent to the final destination where it's then reviewed by Customs and Border Protection. Once it would arrive in Gulfport, it goes through a receiving terminal and a scanning system. As long as it hasn't been tampered with, as long as everything checks out, it's already on the chassis, it can be dispatched. As a smaller port in the United States, that and, and even with our expansion at Gulfport, we still had a small land mass. So instead of building additional land, what we wanted to do was increase efficiency. So this project allowed us the opportunity and allows them the opportunity to establish efficiency, bring it in, throw it on the chassis, and get it dispatched, especially when it comes to produce and perishables. We want to get them in the market as quickly as possible. Uh, so just a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down. They are located in Fort Lauderdale, uh, S2. Just actually, I can see their building from uh, from my office, uh, and we're going to start talking about the possibility of putting that type of system uh, right here. And I, you know, if there's anything I can do with the boat boss or any, anyone that, that you know, there's going to be a lot of support behind this. I can definitely see that it will be a win-win for all parties involved. You know, I'm a person that believes in lean management. Lean manufacturing is a common buzzword right now. Absolutely. You are bringing that to life at the port. Thank you for that. No, thank you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting how relationships develop. And then from that, taking that to uh, the next level, integrating technology, integrating a smart port design, and finding ways to tweak it just a little bit. Whether you put cameras in there or scanning systems, it's all about utilizing technology in the proper way. Constant evolution, mm -hmm. as they say. Yep. So June of this year is your... And your anniversary. You've been here almost a year. Yes. And so much has happened in that year. It has. How have you led through this crisis? What, what was it like? It, it was interesting coming in uh, and then talking with the, with the staff, certainly understanding what was going on globally. When I interviewed for the position a year ago this past February, soon after that, I knew I had the position, but we couldn't announce it. And then to watch what was going on at the port in Broward County, certainly handling the, the pandemic, it was the same issues we were going through in South Mississippi. Uh, and I was extremely proud to know I was going to be coming in and working within this organization. Uh, but at the same time, I wanted, I wanted to get it done. I wanted to get there. So when I got in in, in June of last year, there's really the, the, the decision that I had to make at that time. You come in with your really hard charge. And I tend, certainly because of my background at the Citadel and being a coach, I, I have that in me, and that's part of my personality. At the same time, you have to take a step back and say, all right, we have to be a little softer. We have to manage through this, rather than coming in and making change for change's sake, and trying to just make our, you know, everybody wants to come in, and they want to make that great change, and they want to be looked at and being successful. But at that point, what we had to do was sit down, understand what were the impacts on the budget, understand the impacts 
on the people as well. Uh, not come in and make wholesale changes across the board, but slowly make incremental changes and tweaks within the organization. I think it's been well received thus well, far. I know it has. You have fans. Well, you told no, me earlier your, yeah. your employees, or we call team members, are your biggest yeah. fans. Well, we, we, we are, and, and, it, and it's great. It's, it's great to have them. Uh, and also, I think they had to learn a lot about me. A lot of leaders will come in, and if you take a look, especially in the athletic field, you have a head coach that comes in, and immediately what they do is they fire the entire staff of that's course, there, yes. and they bring in all their own people. Yep. Uh, so you didn't do that? I didn't do that. Uh, what we did is, is, is we've evaluated the people. Mm -hmm. uh, we may have them doing a little something different to take advantage of their expertise, but ultimately what it is is what supplies the historical knowledge that we have in place. That's just not, that's just not me to come in and fire everybody in and, and, uh, and, and, and bring in new staff. Uh, I think it's been received. It's been it's been received very well. They've responded extremely well. Uh, they have not stopped uh, during that interim period. They led. They led. They led. They really continued to do that. I was the one that really had to come in and integrate into their team as much as they had to integrate into what my style was going to be. And we're still learning about each other, and that's that's what's great day in and day out. And, and I, there's still people because of the pandemic. I haven't been able to meet on the staff. I feel terrible about that, but we'll work that out over time. We well, are very thoughtful leader. I uh, appreciate all you've done. So let's go into a hot topic. Hot mm -hmm. topic is cruising right now. Yes. The cruising industry is back in Asia and Europe. Mm -hmm. um, your, your associate Ellen told me that it's about 400,000 passengers right now. Very few cases, which is a good sign. Yes. So what are they doing to bring cruising back? And what are we doing as a port? And when can we expect that to happen? It, it's hard to, again. As uh, our staff has mentioned, as Ellen mentioned, 400,000 cruisers, only 37 documented cases. The so say that again, that's pretty amazing. 37 documented cases. And, th and that came out of the American Association of Port Authorities the other how day. How many people were cruising? Over 400,000. That's amazing. So it's time to bring it back. Well, you take a look at it as well, and the cruise lines are the ones that are having to deal with the cases. So it's not community spread on board the vessel, it's community spread or bringing it on board the ships. The cruise industry is forced to deal with it, to contain it, to isolate it, to treat it, and then to respond to it. I've been extremely impressed with the way in which they've come to us and talked about what their response plans are. They're willing to do that, and I cannot believe the level of investment that they have put forth to improve their isolation rooms, improve their medical facilities, and to put themselves in a, in a, in a bubble uh, and really create a great, great environment. I wouldn't have any problems getting on board uh, a cruise ship right now. Uh, and I've, I've flown, I would love to be able to, I would certainly love to be able to see that come back on for a variety of reasons. Uh, the port has been working on it for a long period of time, and we kind of dabbled into it because thankfully we have a, a tenant here, a valley area that runs the ferry service between Fort Lauderdale and Bimini and Freeport. Uh, so even in the last year, we were able to put some aspects of our response uh, and mitigation into practice in Terminal 21. Everything from splash guards to so pharmaceutical boxes. Nice. We have the opportunity to test it. Small amount of passengers, you look down and there's placards on the floor. So hand sanitation anywhere uh, that you want to be able to get it. Nice. And we've been very successful and we've begun to perfect that and continue. And as you can see certainly from the terminal here, you can see the splash guards that are in place. We're carrying on a lot of the work that we did in Terminal 21 and we've brought that to some of our other terminals. We won't do this alone, we can't do it alone. We're waiting for, for more guidance from, uh, from CDC. All the ports are, all the lines are. That's been the most frustrating thing. 
We just want the cruise industry, industry to be treated the same way Absolutely. that the rest of the hospitality and tourism industry has been treated. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was up, uh, up with my girlfriend in Disney, myself and 30,000 of my closest friends, <laughs> and hand sanitization, and they screened me as I was coming in. Anytime you removed your mask at all, mm -hmm. uh, you were in a position where someone was there to tell you about it. Let's take those practices, those protocols, those procedures, and put them forth. And I can go into a restaurant, I can take my mask off, I can eat. But I can't get on board a vessel into an individual room, properly social distance, uh, and do that. We're just asking for CDC to come forward, make sure that the protocols are fair, that they're reasonable, that they're not onerous. Uh, and allow them the opportunity to get back up on, on, on board. When you consider the job impact, because of a shutdown cruise industry, it's been absolutely, absolutely devastating. Uh, from the longshoremen to the people that work behind the, behind the, the desk. The local community. The hotels, the, 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 those that provide stores and materials on board the vessel. This isn't an industry that's been slowed down. It's been completely shut down and change has to occur. We need, we need to bring this industry back online. $22 billion impact in the state of Florida alone. It's huge. Well, uh, we will definitely do our best to get it out there and get the word out there and Great. spread the word that Thank cruising you. needs to be back. It needs to be back. So seven years from now, I believe it is, it's 100th anniversary of the port, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we are coming on a huge anniversary. Big milestone, port. big milestone. So what does the future look like for the port? Five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? I think you're looking at that will it will change dramatically the way in which we do business we're already looking we're putting in place a new uh, 36 month economic development strategic business plan one that allows us the opportunity to change quickly adapt to change whether it's pandemic or whether it's right. an issue some other issue in the industry uh, we also have to take a look at where our energy sector is as as the mandates are from the federal government to improve uh, your miles per gallon What's that mean to the fuel that comes in? I still don't think we're ever going to see electric planes. I'm not sure I'll fly on one. <laughs> Jet fuel's always going to be there. There's always a need for a petroleum yeah. sector. But the way in which we handle uh, cargo, you're also going to see green technologies that are going to be involved uh, in this uh, LNG for cruise ships. So how do, we, how do we handle that? How do we facilitate that? We're extremely diverse. Cruise, energy, real estate, cargo. What you will now see over the next, certainly, seven years and beyond is diversity within those individual business lines. There's still areas for us to be very aggressive, for us to be able to grow, for us to be able to bring new technology in. Three new super post-pandemic gantry cranes arrived. In the next 30 to 60 days, we'll make the decision on ordering three additional ones. So our growth continues. Our growth could be stunted a little bit just in the land, in the way in which we, the way in which we're hemmed in a little bit. We're about 3,000 acres. We're hemmed in by the Atlantic Ocean. We're hemmed in by our communities that we serve in, as well as the airport. So we have to find a way to do it more efficiently, well, to do it better. You, know, you had mentioned to me uh, about the reconfiguration of the U.S. Coast Guard Station and what that means to the port. I don't think the public is aware of by relocating it, reconfiguring what it's going to bring to us. Can you share with us? It, it's, really the, it's really the linchpin to the deepening and widening project for the dredging, $500 million, federally funded, locally funded project, and it really starts out with a $40 million project with a reconfiguration of the, of the Coast Guard station. It sticks out into our channel, and by removing the breakwater and moving it about 250 feet to the east, it takes out that choke point, 
now allows us the opportunity to bring in much larger vessels and then to be able to allow vessels to be able to pass simultaneously. simultaneously. That is That's huge. And, and this terminal that we're in right now is a perfect example of that because if you end up with an edge class vessel in here, the Apex or the Edge, uh, we can't bring one of our wide bodies uh, by this terminal. So it really ends up shutting down uh, the intercoastal waterway to the large vessels. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and you're looking at a vessel that's 130, 140 feet wide, 1,100 feet long, trying to maneuver past a cruise ship. It just doesn't work in our current configuration. I wouldn't want to have that job. I don't, I, that's our, our pilots. We're going to we're going to let that we're going to let them so, continue. So when do you see this project being completed? Uh, the full dredging project probably approaches a little bit before 2030. Okay. Uh, the Coast Guard reconfiguration will start next year. Okay. And that will run through 2022 till about 2024, 2025. And that will have a huge impact on the uh, port. It, it will. And, and kudos to the group and, and to the staff and to the leadership for coming up with a program that allows us not only the opportunity to do the dredging program, but also to reconfigure the U.S. Coast Guard. That is such a part of the fabric of everything we do here on the water. Shout out to whoever and they are. They are. Oh, the, the people, the leadership from uh, our delegation members to the port leadership, to the Army Corps of Engineers District out of Jacksonville. All of them worked very, very diligently uh, in order to allow us the opportunity to be able to get that project on go. Well, you know, teamwork makes a dream work, and we've definitely done that. Here. It does. Thank you. So, Jonathan, do you think South Florida will always be your home? Are you here for good? I, I, cert I certainly would, would, would love that opportunity. Uh, it's interesting. The port industry itself tends to be fairly transient, very important. Uh, and that's, that's the hard part of it, is that you take a look at, uh, at the port facilities. Everything we do here is, is large. It's very visual. Uh, and you tend to command land and locations that people want to take a look at for condos or for some other type of development. So there are always competing interests. Uh, there's also making sure that you are monitoring and doing everything necessary for the environment. Uh, so it's hard. It's hard as a leader of the port to take a look at all those factions, uh, meet the obligations that we all have as a port, as a commission, uh, and as a county administration. And oftentimes there are competing interests. Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to be here for a long period of time. Uh, I've been here just just about a year. I have not experienced a lot of what South Florida is about, just because of, the, of what we're going through the pandemic. I'd certainly would love to be able to be here for, for a long period of time. The people are people are wonderful, uh, and I love the business that we that we are doing. Uh, I love I love I love ports. I love being around the ships, the boats, uh, and everything else. Well, Steve Jobs has a has a saying: "You know, mm -hmm. leave your spot in the world." And mm -hmm. you definitely mm -hmm. left your spot on the world in a lot of the ports that you've been to. And I think wherever laser will be your home, yeah. that's, I'm confident in saying. I hope I hope so. I, you know, we'd, we'd like to leave our mark here. Uh, again, I'm, I'm I'm so privileged uh, to be able, and, I, and I'm honored. And I remember telling birth of that, and, and she said, the first thing I said is, "I'm honored to come to work." at Port Voyage and, and work for this incredible organization. So any words of wisdom, someone, obviously you have progressed into an industry and stayed in an industry, mm -hmm. any words of wisdom you can share with someone that wants to be in your shoes and says, I really want to do what Jonathan is doing? You know, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with someone the other day who is in a job who has, that has nothing to do with the port industry, but this is the direction that they want to go. Uh, it shouldn't scare you if this is the direction that you want to go. And it doesn't have a lot to do with ships and boats and being down on the dock. That's the area that I love. I love being down on the dock. I love being in the terminals. Yeah, it, yes. it is. You, know, you, you end up, it's, it's about business. It's about relationships. It's about people. It's about managing the expectations as well. 
about dealing with the environment. That's what I think I love about it. If you, if for someone that loves change every day, this is the industry that you want, that you want to be in. You don't know what that next call is, is ultimately going to be. I think it goes back to, I don't, I don't know if there's any words of wisdom, certainly the perseverance aspect of it. We are in a hyper-competitive environment. There's only 40 to 50 of the large ports kind of throughout the United States. Uh, and we have never seen an industry now that has come together in such a way. With with with, uh, with Juan and the group and, the, and what he's doing down in, in Miami, we are fierce competitors. Let me tell you, either of us, we're going to do anything that we can. I'm going to do everything I can to take it from him. He's going to do the same thing. But ultimately, we're separated by only about 20 to 20 to 30 miles. We're more like a single port with two terminals. We service different areas of the world, different types of cargoes in some respect. We are the cornerstone as well as with what Captain John Murray is doing up in, in uh, Canaveral with crews. Uh, but we've come together to support each other in a time when it would be very easy to cast each other aside and try and fight for, for things just to save our own ports and our own personnel. Uh, but within that, we've come together. We're writing letters together. We're talking with delegation members together. We, we have to. If, if we don't, we're in this industry together, and we're only going to climb out of it together. And then with leadership that we have, certainly up in Tallahassee, and with our federal delegation and our local delegation, those are the ones we need to draw upon now to go to CDC, to go to Health and Human Services, and ultimately end up with the administration in the White House and say, look at this industry. Because while it may be cruise-centric, the financial impacts span throughout our entire port operations and our inability, you know, it, it hinders our ability to be able to grow the economy. Ultimately, we look at ourselves like if we're an economic development agency with transportation at its core. So we have to look at it holistically. It's about job creation. It's about more hours for longshore and longshore women. And it's about putting more than 13,000 people to work day in and day out. If economic impact on an annual basis, more than 250 jobs throughout the state, more than $32 billion. In many respects, when we talk numbers about those speak numbers, for they speak for themselves, and it's only going to grow from there. And I think we're going to be even stronger when we come out of this pandemic. All right, so two fun questions before we wrap it up. Because I know yes. you've got a lot to manage. Yes. If you were to take anyone to lunch, past or present, who would it be? Oh my gosh! I'd, I'd like. I was asked this question a couple a uh, couple months ago, and and if I could have a meal with anybody, it would be uh, John Lennon. Oh, cool. Uh, and my mom and dad. Uh, and of course, with my dad just passing, I'd love to be able to have that more, more time with him. But uh, uh, but to do that, and I think one of the reasons is because I'd love to watch the the connection between the opposite ends of the political spectrum. I'd love to just sit and watch them talk about uh, about things. And uh, certainly, my my dad and, and the mom and the Beatles kind of grew up during that time together. So it would be interesting, kind of, to bring them bring them together again. And I'd love to just sit back, kind of. Drink some sweet tea. Drink some sweet tea or a beer, and and, and watch what that conversation would be. Okay. So second question is: strangest thing that's ever come through any of your ports? I would say probably in my first port job in Eastport, again Eastport, Maine. Uh, got a call one day from the master saying that we have a, we have a strange cargo. It's not being discharged at the port, but it's just going through. Because they're in open containers, you're going to be able to see it from your your office. And you were moving two containers of camels. Uh, through the port. They originated in Houston, they were going back to the Middle East, uh, and so they were picking up uh, roll paper and, uh, and and some other products out of uh, Eastport, and then taking them back in that direction. So we were actually able to see from the office looking down, and there are the camels. I mean, it's 
it, it's you know we see we see deer we see black bear we see all kinds of things in maine i don't think that's yet i think that's the first time i've ever seen camels i'm sure that was an interesting day it was a very interesting Why day probably wasn't repeated for a while no no I haven't, I haven't seen any more camels or anything like that come through before i love it well, Jonathan, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the boat, boss. Thank and you. I know you're a very busy man, so I need to get you back to work. No, I appreciate but it. As Thank I you. say, define your dreams and go after them. Whether you live, work, or play on the water, just get on the water because there's nothing better than a lifestyle on the water. Wrapping up for this week's boat, boss, with Jonathan Daniels from Port Everglades. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. And we'll see you on next week's boat, boss.